Welcome to the Ruby Book Club podcast, where we read an hour of a Ruby book each week and dissect it with you. I'm Saran, developer and founder of Code Newbie. I'm Nadia, developer and director at Ignition Works. So we're currently reading Confident Ruby by Avdi Grimm. Today we're going to discuss sections 5.4, 5.5, and 5.6, and these cover representing failure with a special case object, returning a status object, and yielding a status object. And remember that you can follow us on Twitter at Ruby Book Club and check out rubybookclub.com to follow along. So what did you make of the reading this week? I liked it. I liked it a lot this week. I think I like the whole uh, dealing with output stuff. Uh, it feels it's feeling pretty good so far. You know, there wasn't anything too crazy or just too foreign in this, but I felt like it did a good job of pushing my knowledge in a direction that I don't think it would have gone naturally or gone without this book. So it was good. What'd you think? Yep, I enjoyed it. That's all you got? <laughs> uh... <laughs> I guess I guess we'll find out how you really feel as we dissect these sections. <laughs> yeah. So 5.4 is about representing failure with a special case object. And so in this section, we're talking about dealing with nil again, which has been a pretty common theme throughout this book of dealing with nil. It's something that we come across a lot. And it talks about returning a guest user, which is something that we've mentioned before in previous parts of this book. Yes. So it's similar to the returning a benign value instead of nil, because we want to avoid cases where we've got a non-essential value. We don't really care about it so much. So we don't want something as harmful as nil. Yes. And so in the example with the guest user, it's again, the same type of thing that we talked about before in that when we call current user, we don't have to keep asking it are you real? Are you real? Are you real? Instead, we can just sub in a guest user and have a standard avatar and a standard name and have it respond to a lot of the things that the current user would have responded to, which is not a new topic. We've kind of gone through this before, which is why this section is a page and a paragraph long, (laughs) um, which kind of made me wonder, okay, well, why are we talking about this now? Yeah, so Avdi does say in the conclusion, there's not much more to say about this technique that hasn't already been covered earlier, but he wants us to look at this in from a different perspective. So before we were looking at it in terms of we're collecting input and if we have things that we don't like, let's just replace nil with something kind. And this time we're giving output and it's the same concept, but rather than returning nil, let's return something so that the client code that that is the caller of this method doesn't have to worry about testing for nil. Yes, and I think that in the context of dealing with output and delivering output, it's a nice reminder that the input and the output are not two distinct things. They're obviously related, but this was a great way of saying that technique we talked about and went into detail about as input, that's just as relevant in the output side too. Yeah. So shall we conclude what I think will be the shortest chapter ever? <laughs> <laughs> Done. What did that take? Like 30 seconds? That might be a record. Must have been. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Next section. So next we're talking about returning a status object. Wait, did I say status? Is it status? Oh my God. I just, I just went, uh, I went on the British side of things. Oh no. It finally yeah, happened, status. Nadia. It happened. <laughs> you yeah, know, I was, to me too much. <laughs> I was waiting for it. I said to myself, there's going to be a word that I'm going to pronounce the naughty away. And it just did. It happened. It took 13 episodes. Um, 
<laughs> and so when I first read about this, I was really, really, really excited. And I, I'm not sure exactly why I was excited. I think there was something about it that felt familiar. It felt like this was a thing that I had encountered and dealt with before. I just didn't know what the name was. And that's one of my favorite things is kind of looking at something that I've used or seen or I've just really appreciated has been very helpful and then finding out that it has a name that we can all call. And this was a moment where I said, oh, I feel like this is something I've, I've known about before and now I can call it something. Yeah, and it's very similar to something we were discussing. I'm not sure if it's last week or two weeks ago, but this idea that we need more than just sometimes success failure or true false we need something that gives us something that's a bit more nuanced and so this is this is the idea that rather than just saying something was a success or a failure we can have an object that gives more subtle indications of what the outcome was yes and so for this example, we are revisiting a method that I feel like we know pretty well at this point. I think we've used it at least a couple of times called the import purchase method. And in the import purchase method, we take in a date and a title and a user email. And one of the first things that we do is we find the user based on that user email. And then we have a conditional and we ask the user, hey, did you purchase this title where we bring in the title that was passed into the method? And if the user has purchased that title before, we return false. Otherwise, we create a new purchase with the title that was passed in and the date where it was purchased and we return true. And so when we looked at this purchase method, as happens with every code sample that Avdi introduces, I go, this looks awesome. What could possibly <laughs> be wrong with this? And... Have you not learned so I haven't. I still haven't learned. And so the very next uh, sentence says, depending on how you look at it, there's actually three possible outcomes. And I went, oh, but there's only two conditionals. There's only two paths. Where's the third one coming from? He, I swear, Avdi does this just for me, just to give, get me on a ride. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and so what are those three options? Right. So you've either got the case where the purchase is successfully imported. Or you've got the case where the purchase already exists in the database and so nothing nothing is done. Or the system runs into an error. So for example, maybe we can't find a user responding to that email. And so Avdi's trying to say here that true or false is not going to be good enough in this case. We're going to need something more. Mm -hmm. And it's that third option that I said, oh yeah, I guess sometimes there won't be a user. And that's the one I didn't account for when I was first looking at it. And so the situation we're dealing with is when we have that error, one, that's a third option that, as you said, isn't accounted for. But two, when it errors out, we, we want to know a little bit more information about it. And so the first way that he solves for it is something that I don't think I would have thought to do. And and I'm curious, Nadia, if this is a solution that felt kind of obvious to you as you were looking at it. But the way that he does it is in that conditional where he says, if the user has purchased this title, instead of returning a true or a false, he returns a symbol. And the symbol here says redundant, which is helpful, right? It's a little bit more informed than just having a true or false because it says, you know, this has already happened, which is which is great semantic meaning for us. And then for the else, after we purchase the new title, the symbol that we return is success, right? So successfully purchased. And then if there's any type of error, we have a rescue 
and we return the symbol error. So is that use of returning symbols, was that, how did that feel for you? Yes, no, so it's still pretty new, similar to when we looked at using symbols as parameters for errors. Right. It's the same sort of thing where I wouldn't think to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe exactly by the end right. of this book, I'll start doing that. <laughs> I, ho- <laughs> I hope so, right? But we find out that although that's better semantically, it's not quite the final useful solution that we need in this case. Mm-hmm. So when we use these symbols, the way that they end up being used, or one way they can end up being used is in a case statement. So we'll have result equals import purchase, passing in the date, the title, the user email, and then we have a case statement. So case result, so we know that that result will be a symbol. So when that symbol is success, we send a book invite. When that symbol is redundant, then we log it as skipped this title for this user. And when there's an error, we log it as an error. So we can see how the use of symbols can be helpful in constructing this case statement. But as you said, this isn't the best way of doing things. Yeah, so particularly focusing on that error case. So it's great because we've got more subtleties and we can do different actions. But for example, we lose information about what that error is when we get to the calling code. We have no idea what the error was anymore. We've lost the information. We just have a statement saying there was an error. And so that's one of the signs that this is not quite as nuanced enough to help us work out what the problem was. And then Avdi also adds a little thing which says, you know, by using things like symbols, you're introducing the possibility for the the caller of your code to make spelling errors because now they've Mm -hmm. got to map on to each of the symbols, spell them correctly. Also, how will they necessarily know what each of those symbols were? So there is room for error here. So there is a way that we can represent the outcome in a way that's more helpful. So I remember in an earlier section talking about the spelling issue when it came to symbols, but I'll be honest, I don't entirely remember what the issue is with that. Can you refresh my memory? I think it's because we're not dealing with an object. So if we had an object and you were calling methods on, you would have, you would get a no method error if that method didn't exist. But for example, if you look at the case statement in the text, it just says when success. So if someone had missed off an S on that, you'll never know. And so when success will never be reached, because it won't fail, they'll just pass over it. It'll say, no, it's not success ah, with one S. Yes. Yes, that is familiar. Thank you so much. No problem. So a different solution that solves for the issues that we just talked about is using an object instead and using a status object. I'm going to call that for the rest of this episode. <laughs> status. <laughs> using a status object. And in this case, we're going to call it import status. Yes. I just want to say that I'm really glad I've taught you how to pronounce the word status. <laughs> if that's the only thing that came out of us doing this podcast, I'm glad it's that. Yeah. <laughs> so for our import status object, one of the first things that we do is we define a couple class methods called success, redundant, and failed. And so when we have success, we're going to create a new instance where we pass in the success key. When we call import status.redundant, we create a new instance of an import status object passing in the key redundant. And if we call import status.failed, we have, we create a new instance of the import status passing in two things this time, 
we pass in our symbol failed, and we also pass in an error. Yes. And then we look at the initialize method, and that takes two parameters, the status and also the error, which defaults to nil. Mm -hmm. So we, we then have three predicate methods, success, redundant, and failed. And so for example, success question mark, that is at status. So the instance variable status is equals equals to success. So we'll return true if it's a success one and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. And it's so nice. It feels so clean because we are still using the symbols, right? We're using them to pass them in and they're a part of it. But now we can just call these individual methods to ask, are you successful? Are you redundant? Are you failed? And that gives us a little bit more flexibility and kind of protects our code a little bit. Right. So now if we go back to the import purchase methods, where before we were returning the symbols, this time we are calling those three class methods that you outlined in the import status object. So for example, if the import was a success, then what happens is it we call import status success. If there was an error, which we rescue, we call import status.failed, passing in the error. And then in the client code now, we set whatever is returned from that method to a variable called result. And we can say, if result.success, then send the invitation. If result.redundant, then log that it was skipped. And if result.error, then you can say that log that there was an error being reported and now you can print the error because you've got the error saved within the status object. And so essentially we've got more information and we have, like you said, a safer way of representing the different statuses that could come out of calling the import purchase method. Mm-hmm. And so what we have are these outcomes that are a lot more obvious and it's it's kind of clear and I like it too because you can kind of guess it right if you have something that you're returning and it's called result it it feels very intuitive to ask the result were you successful did you fail are you redundant you know these are kind of almost predictable guessable outcomes which again makes it a little bit clearer when we're talking when we're communicating with other developers and as a developer using this, um, you know, potentially using this API, it is a lot easier to find things and it's not a lot of guesswork that I'd have to do. And are you also trying to say that you find it more readable too? Readable, yes, definitely more readable. Yeah, and the fact that there's a little question mark, right, that just instantly makes it just a lot friendlier. Right. So I guess that's that section as well. Mm-hmm, yep. And that was a, a pretty nice section. So now we're going to go to 5.6, which is still dealing with status objects, but this time we're talking about yielding a status object. So it took me a while with this section, a couple of pages in, for me to work out what the difference was between yielding and returning a status object. And obviously the word yield should have been a clue, but <laughs> in my mind, the word yield just means returning as well. So I was confused for a couple of pages, but luckily it became clear pretty quickly. Okay. I'm so glad you said that because I was also, I was also a little confused. I was like, wait a minute, but these are so similar. Um, and so I said, it's, it's fine. Nadia and I will work it out and everything will be crystal clear. And I think that I had to kind of go back and forth 
and compare line by line and kind of figure things out to see the differences and and really to appreciate the differences. So hopefully I got to the same point you did. And if not, then we'll get there together. I did that too. I was flicking back and forth between the chapters, particularly even in the first indications and synopsis section, because it was pretty much a similar paragraph that came up in both, which was a command method may have more possible outcomes than success failure. And and then there was the bit that followed that varied. And mm. I was trying to work out the subtleties in the bit that followed. And where I got to was, so in the last chapter, we wanted a more meaningful return value to explain what had happened. Mm -hmm. But in this chapter, we're saying we don't want it to return a value. We want to do something else that's more meaningful. And so I was was getting a better understanding of this the distinction but I wasn't quite clear what the outcome was but yes I was looking back and forth too which is quite tricky to do on a kindle this is why I prefer paper books (laughs) right this is the time I said man I really wish I'd just print out these two chapters and look them back and forth but we tried that one time and it was not fun to have to look at pieces of paper while doing a podcast recording so So it actually starts with a nice quote I love the quotes that kick off some of these sections this one is by Bertrand Meyer Uh, author of Object-Oriented Software Construction. And the quote says, the clean separation between procedures and functions averts many of the pitfalls of traditional programming. And it is one of the many times in this book that we've talked about separating different roles. Uh, I know we talked about separation of concerns, but separating different uh, tasks, right? This, This method should really be doing just querying, and this is what we're going to end up talking about. And then this method should really uh, be you know, commanding and, and do getting things done. And so I like that this quote kind of set the stage for creating separation, which is something that we explore mm-hmm. in this section. Yeah, and that fits in really nicely with the rationale behind this section. And I'll just read it. It says, this approach cleanly separates what to do for a given outcome from when to do it, and even from how often to do it. Yes. And when I first read that, I thought, wait, what is that exactly happening? And I think it took, you know, until the rest of the section appreciating it to then go back to this and say, okay, right, the what and the when and and things kind of made a little bit more sense. So in this example, we are still talking about this idea of importing the purchase. So we're continuing on with that example, which is really convenient because we don't have to, you know, understand a new domain to be able to uh, appreciate the section and, and what it's teaching us. And so here it talks about how uh, we have with this import purchase, we want to do the three things. We want to return whether it was successful or redundant or failed. So that part you know doesn't really change too much. But it says that when we look at the way we have this import purchase method, it violates the command query separation principle, which is something we talked about. Was it last chapter or was it last episode? Yes, last episode. I think I had a little, yeah. little piece on it. So yep. do you remember the difference? I think so. And I remember talking about how the word uh, command was a little bit confusing and there were other yes. possible words to use it. But my understanding of it is that some methods want you to to do things and to change things to update things and other methods want to just ask you know what the state of things are and so in this example it does both which is generally not a good thing and so this was the the part where i said okay where exactly does it do both and 
I think where it does both is in the conditional. So when it says, if result.success, we're kind of asking, you know, what is the current state of you? Are you successful? And that was our query. And then if it is successful, then what happens is we send a book invitation to the user, which is a command. Because at that point, we're doing things, we're changing things, there's going to be an update in our database. And so that's the part that I saw those two coming together. Is that how you saw that too? Yes. And there's also the fact that initially we we call import purchase. And so that does the mm. importing. And then there's the querying about what the result is. So we might log something out. And like you said, there's the sending book invitation. So there are a few things going on. And so it could be rather confusing. You know what's interesting? There's almost um, a, a pattern here where, like you said, the first thing we do is the actual import purchase. So there's our first command. And then we ask the result, hey, did that work? That's our query. Then if it does, we give it another command. And then the other conditional is asking for the state. And then if it, there is that state, then we give it another command. So there's there's almost like this pattern of do something, then check, then do something, then check, then do something, then check that comes out, which is a pretty clear violation of the command query separation principle. Yeah. And so Avdi poses a question, which is how can we indicate which of the three outcomes has occurred whilst avoiding returning a value? I'm sorry, but this sounds impossible to me. Did it sound impossible to you <laughs> when you read that? I was like, I don't no. know, Avdi, how can we possibly do that? I knew it wasn't impossible because it was Avdi talking to that's us. True. That's true. That is a good point. That's valid. And there's an extra point that Avdi makes before he goes into the solution, which he says that in a previous section, I think we discussed in the last episode, the way we wrote the code meant that we could easily switch from importing one purchase to importing a whole batch of purchases. And again, he says that by having the return value in this way, we, we can't switch to a batch version of import purchase. So we lose a bit of flexibility as well. We can't handle collections. Mm -hmm. Yeah, good point. So we return to our status object from the last section. And now, instead of the predicate methods we had, which were success question mark, a failure question mark, we now have callback style methods. And I did just a little check again on the difference between predicates and callbacks. Not, I mean, I knew they were different, but just I wanted to get succinct definitions for them. So do you, do you know what they are, the difference? Uh, I probably couldn't describe it. Like they, they feel different because when I think about a callback, it's time-based, right? It's only do this mm. when something happens. Exactly. And a predicate just happens whenever you just call it to happen. Is that about it? Yeah, so a predicate is essentially asking a question. They typically have a question mark at the end in Ruby and they return either true or false. And like you said, a call callback methods, they happen at certain times in an object's lifecycle. And it's essentially what you said, which is a hook for when this happens, do this. Mm -hmm. And so... In this refactoring, we have the same three class methods that we had before, success, redundant, failed. But now, rather than the predicate methods, we've got three different methods, callback methods. They're called on success, on redundant, and on failed. And each time we yield if the status matches what it should be. So for, for example, in the method on success, we yield if status is equal to success. Mm-hmm. And this is so interesting. So in general, when we have these callback style methods, do we 
is it because so just like how the predicate you know ends with the question mark is it standard do you know for this to start with an on underscore yeah i think it's a convention that's really cool yeah i like that a lot and it makes it more readable as well right Mm -hmm. yeah definitely because now for example we look back at the input purchase method again. Well, this this method has gone through so many iterations and variations over the last however many chapters. And so this time, in, in that conditional where we say if if the title was imported successfully, we say this time yield import status dot success. If it was already there, then we say yield import status dot redundant. And if it fails, then we say yield import status dot failed. So those are actually still the same class methods, but it's the client code where it becomes interesting because now we've got the yield. What does this mean, Saron? Well, that's kind of what I was going to ask you. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I actually have a note where I said, why do I have to yield this? Why can't I just return it? Because oh, I thought... that was brilliant. <laughs> I feel like you just totally set me up because I thought that whenever we did the yield in the previous examples, we were yielding to a particular block, usually that we mm-hmm. passed in, mm-hmm. right? But this time we're just yielding to the the class method. So why can't I just call it the class method? So the interesting bit is with the client code, because now when we call input purchase, we can pass a block to input purchase and there's an argument to the block, which is result. The result being the status object. So, for example, we can say input purchase do result. So this begins as a block. And then we can say result.onSuccess do send book invitation or result.onRedundant do log it to the console. And so now these blocks are executed depending on what the result was. And so similar to to previous chapters where we've seen the power of blocks, we now have this extra functionality in, in the guise of callback methods so we can now have callbacks okay so let me let me see if i understand this so when we have the if user.purchase title.include and then we have the yield import status.redundant what we're doing in the client code is when we call the import purchase and let's assume that it is redundant the result that i'm using in my block is the result of calling import status.redundant is that right Yes. So yes, that's the return value. Right. That's the return value. So when I, so the result that I'm passing in, in my client code, so that I call result.onSuccess, for example, Mm -hmm. that is the result of that import status.redundant. So for example, let's say we'd gotten to the line that said yield input status.redundant. Let's say that's the line that had been called. So result was the return value of input status.redundant. Right which we know is an instance of the input status class, but with redundant as the status. Right. So then if we come to the block to calling the input purchase method now, so we get to line three and it will say success do. Now we know from the class uh, definition that it won't yield because status is not equal to success. So that won't be called. And then we get three lines down and it says redundant do. And yeah, and so that will go through exactly because it says yield if status is equal to redundant. Exactly, got you. Okay, now it makes sense. Thank you. Yay. Okay, so wait, question. Okay, so if we did not do yield import status dot redundant, if we just did import status dot redundant, 
would it just stop before it ran the do block? Like, I guess it, there wouldn't be a result to then call on success and call on redundant and call on error, right? It would just it would just end up with nothing. There's no yield, so the block won't be right. executed. Right, so the block will be executed. Okay. Very interesting. I knew I would get there if I just talked to you. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad I'm being helpful. And yes. again, I hope I'm correct. <laughs> <laughs> no, it makes a ton of sense. And when I was looking at this, I went back to the question of the command query uh, what's it called? The command query separation. separation principle, right? And so I was trying to identify, okay, so what's the difference here? What did we change that made it not a violation of that principle? And the biggest thing that we changed with the way that this client code works is because it's all blocks. So we call the methods on success, on redundant, and on error. We call those methods on the result, which is the thing that we yield from running import purchase. And so when we do that, we're no longer asking the result, are you successful, which is a query. We are instead calling on success, which does a thing if it's successful. So in terms of the way the client code is written, it's all just a list of commands. Exactly. And then Avdi wants to say that there's other advantages than this, this block style that we now have. So he says, let's imagine that we redefined this import purchase method and this time we return early if the date, title or user email is nil. And he says that if we were having code that just returned a status object, we would have to include an extra check for nil at the beginning. So there's no way if we were just returning a status object that we could handle this nil case without doing a nil check. Mm -hmm. And we know that we don't like nil checks. No, we don't. On the other hand, if we have the yielding of a status object, we don't need to do a nil check anymore. So imagine calling import purchase with nil, nil, nil as the three arguments. And then we've got do result. And we have the three callbacks as defined before. Now what will happen is we'll simply never get to either of those cases. The block will never be called because nil just means that we'll never get to that case, mm -hmm. which means we can confidently know that if we have nil, none of the callbacks will be called. We don't need to, we don't need to do a check for nil. The code will just not progress any further. And so what we've done is we've separated the bit of code that calls back depending on what result there is from the possibility that there is no outcome. Yes. And it makes it so much nicer and so much cleaner because I, I feel like whenever I do these types of checks, it, it starts to very quickly go, just get, you know, un, un, unwieldy, unmanageable because as I'm coding, I'll say, oh, but I forgot to account for this edge case. But what about this thing is, and this by, you know, not having that combination of querying and commands and by separating it and using yield and blocks, we're able to move those issues. Like you said, insulating it, we're able to move that problem out of this client code and into the import purchase method. Yes. And the, the one problem that Avdi points out for this is that just from code inspection, it's not clear that you might never reach the block pass to import purchase. And so that's one thing that you lose that becomes a bit more obscure. Mm -hmm. Yep. Other advantages is that we can now go back to our batch version. So 
we can define something called input purchases, which takes a collection. And the only thing that's going to change is the input purchase method, but the block that you pass will be exactly the same because essentially the block will be executed for each result that you get. Mm-hmm. And the yield on that will still be the same. You'll still be yielding a little status object. And the last thing that it talks about is testing, which I feel like we haven't done too much on testing in most of the sections, but I'm glad that there's a testing one for this because when you brought it up, I said, oh man, that's true. How do you test this type of pattern with all these blocks? And you know, what, does, what exactly does that look like? And so in this, he uses RSpec and he says that I might test the code like this. So we have a local variable called called back and it's set to false in the very beginning. And then we call our import purchase method and we pass in a date and a title and a user email and we have a block. So we're taking our result and we're calling on success on that result. And in that on success block, we change the value for the called back variable to true. And so the expectation is that the called back variable is now going to be true. And so really the way that we're testing this callback is by starting with a variable. If the code runs smoothly and the blocks are are run and everything happens as expected, then we have that called back value updated to a different value. And then we just check to make sure that that actually did update, in which case we know that the code is working the way we think. Yeah. And like you said, we haven't done much on testing in this book. And I love testing, always doing TDD. And so I was really happy to see this section. And it made me think that I wish there was more testing in this book. But Mm. then I thought, no, I take that back. Because I think something (laughs) that Avdi does so well is focus. Like you read so many books and there can be a lot going on. And he said, look, this book is just going to show you how to write more confident Ruby methods. And he's just focused in on that. I mean, you've already seen how much we've gotten from this book over the week. So imagine if there were also also testing tips throughout as well. Mm -hmm. Be quite a lot. That would be a lot. Yeah, especially within the same section. That would be... That would definitely be very thick sections. Yeah, so I appreciate the focus. Mm -hmm. So that basically concludes this section too. And so here we're really focusing on that separation, which is how we started the section by that really nice quote that set the tone for it. And it ends by saying that status... Ah, I messed it up. I'm so sorry. Status (laughs) objects. Good. (laughs) Status objects, they help us partition our methods and it helps us divide our methods between pure commands and pure queries. And by doing that, we can end up making code that is a little bit more simple, a little bit more readable, and that is always better code to work with. Yeah, and I love the final paragraph of this section. Avdi says, all those advantages aside, some programmers may find this style overly verbose or simply too exotic. Ultimately, it's a matter of taste. And the reason why I really like that is particularly when you're a more junior developer or less experienced working with more senior programmers, sometimes the senior programmers can forget to point out when what they're showing you is something that's going to actively save you from danger or whether it's just their habit or the way they like to do things and the next developer may say ew no I would never do it like that (laughs) and so sometimes young developers could find themselves coding in a way that's very similar to the to the to their mentor or to the, the the person they're pairing with and think that's the right way to do it 
And it was just nice for Avdi to point out, hey, this is just the way I like to do it. This is a style I like, but other people may disagree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me too. It was a nice reminder that Avdi's awesome. And, you know, obviously we were big fans to read his book and, um, you know, and just know him personally. But he's one person, one opinion, one way of doing things. There's many other opinions and styles and things too. So always remembering that. I, I feel whenever giving advice or whenever making a recommendation, remembering that that's not always the way to do it. That's a way to do it. It's nice to see that reminder in a book like this. Yeah. Cool. So we have had a few sections now about using yield and using blocks, and clearly it's something that I'm still trying to get used to. And so we're wondering how you feel about it. Is it something that you're comfortable with? You use it a lot. Have you started using it now that you've heard these episodes? We want to hear your thoughts and experiences on blocks. So record your 30-second response and send it to us at rubybookclub.com or just write up a response and email it to us and maybe we'll read it on the show. And don't forget to tweet us at rubybookclub and tell us about how you plan to use the takeaways from this episode in your next project. See you next week. See ya! See ya!